Welcome, everyone, to episode 26 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is John Moore. Now, this week's episode centers around post-traumatic growth. And John is going to take us on his journey through some pretty traumatic events for himself and his family, and also how his family and himself have persevered. So without further ado, let's tag John in. All right, welcome everyone to this week's episode of the 25 Live. I am Jim Bernica. My special guest this week, uh, live with me, is John Moore. Good morning, John. How are you doing? Morning, Jim. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm tired, actually, but uh, that's probably the norm, it seems. Well, you're still on shift. I am. <laughs> I am. For six more years or There's so. There's perks for me working 8 to 5 Monday through Friday. Yeah, there is. <laughs> it's a little more predictable. You have to shave every day, though. That's true. <laughs> yes. So... You know, this episode today, I want to kind of just talk about your journey and, and what you've, you've been through. I've known you now for, I think, about a dozen years. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to take you uh, all the way back to 2014, about September 13th, and mm-hmm. a little bit before that. And just kind of give me, give our, our listeners the breakdown of, of how things were going. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I graduated from high school in uh, 2002, went right into fire and EMT school the fall after I graduated. And I was the post 9-11 boom, huge classes, tons of people going through police and fire, I mean, police, fire, um, EMT schools. And I was one of the records, record largest classes at the time. Um, came out and just started applying like crazy to departments. I was working part-time uh, for Clear Creek Fire District down in Warren County, Ohio. And I was working there part-time while I was working through medics. And as soon as I got that registry done, I started dropping applications for career jobs. And I had a lot of interviews, took a lot of tests, and finally secured a full-time job with the City of Kettering Fire Department. And right at that time, I got hired in October of 2007 and I got married to my wife in July of 06. So big things in my life. I got my first full-time fire job, which felt like the golden ticket. I started ticking off my years in the pension system and my, my wife and I had just gotten married, both super young. I was uh, 23 years old when we got married and, or 22 years old, almost 23. And we were just really hitting our stride. My wife and I were just getting ready to start growing our family and having kids and come September of 08, things changed. We were about two years into our marriage. I was 11 months into my new job as a firefighter paramedic. And at that point, I felt like this is what I had dreamed of. We had just bought our first house. We had, you know, we were newlyweds, bought our first house. We were really on this straight trajectory of where our dreams had, where we had envisioned us going uh, it was funny we bought our tri-level and there wasn't a bedroom or a bathroom on the main level because um, what does that matter to two able-bodied 23 year olds or 25 year olds um, so as we go through this uh, interview we'll see how that that definitely plays a factor <laughs> in our lifestyles yes the, the hindsight yeah. right yeah yeah so then September 14th uh, September 14th of 08 came along and if anybody remembers that was 
they, the, the quote windstorm in southwest Ohio, the remnant of Hurricane Ike. So Hurricane Ike came up from the Gulf and came through southwest Ohio and we had, it was a Sunday, and we had 90 mile per hour shear winds come through the city. So my wife and I were, we went to church that morning, we went home, and we were scraping up the floor in our new kitchen, scraping up the old vinyl floor and looking out the back window and I see shingles fly past the window and I see a patio furniture kind of blow over and I'm thinking, boy, it's getting kind of witty out there. And then I find out my friend had a um, tree limb come off of a tree in his yard and go into the side of his house. So I, uh, you know, did whatever a good friend does when you find that out. I'm on the way over. So I hop in my truck. I head over to his house and we start by pulling that limb out the side of his house because we thought after all this wind, we're definitely going to get some rain. So we got to get this limb out and get his house sealed up. So we took that limb out, and while we were continuing to clear other limbs out of the streets and out of the trees and stuff, another one came down and uh, just struck me right in the top of the head. And that tree limb went straight from the top of the head and pushed all that energy down to the weakest point. Apparently for me, that was my T12 vertebrae. So I was um, pretty much immediately uh, paralyzed from the waist down from the T12 vertebrae down, which is pretty much right at the belly button. So I was um, unconscious for a couple minutes. My buddy Andrew, who was there, called my buddy Steve and said, hey, um, Johnny's hurt. And he, he was my lieutenant at the time, a really good paramedic friend of mine. He, he responded on his own from his house in his own car um, to come help. And then another neighbor called 911 and got the crews there. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of people, a lot of people in the right places that day. Steve was able to be there real quick, get some hands on me, get some direct pressure on my head. I was bleeding pretty good. And we didn't know what all was injured at that point. So they just needed to keep me really still. And uh, fortunately, when the ambulance showed up, sure enough, it was a mutual aid medic. But sure enough, stepping out of the back was a paramedic friend of mine I even went to high school with, worked with. Um, she was a rock star, um, stepped out and... I know as soon as Steve saw her uh, step out, we, he just took a deep breath, like, we're going to be okay. Um, got me loaded up, took me by ground, because apparently Care Flight's too, too nervous to fly when it's 90-mile-an-hour winds. I know something about restrictions in air flight and or helicopters and things. Uh, but they took me by ground to uh, My Valley Hospital, and, again, we had some really good friends who were – ER physicians and um, took care of us there and really received great care uh, that day. The, they did an MRI, found out, you know, we're good, that T12 is the only injury, and that was the saving grace. I had a couple uh, intracranial hemorrhages uh, that ended up being taken care of. So that night of the accident, they sewed my head up. The next night, they went in and operated and secured my back. And uh, both those nights, especially the second night when they secured my back and to put all the hardware and did all the orthopedic surgery to uh, secure to stabilize my back, there were a lot of people uh, there that night. Uh, I I don't remember any of this. This is all hearsay for me, but 
I believe there were about 80 people in the hospital that night and they were just in groups just praying and praying that every, everything worked out. Um, at that point, with the, um, I was still kind of unstable. I had lost a lot of blood. They, didn't, um, they had to give me more blood during the surgery, which they don't like to do. And, um, and it, it ended up working out. I mean, people that see me now wouldn't say that because I'm not walking. But I, I would say, you know, um, considering what all else could have gone wrong that day, what all else could have been broken, there's a lot of important things between the top of my head and my belly button, and none of that was injured, I would say I dodged a lot of bullets um, that day when, when, that, when, it, when, it, when it happened. How long did it take you to, to kind of come to and, and be alert and realize what was actually going on? Yeah. So um, I, I spent about, I think, three days in the ICU. I spent about another um, three or four days in trauma. And th- there, there's a specific day. I, again, I don't remember the, the, the day count. But it was, it was a few days later when um, my, my wife had, she tells me that I asked for the first time where I'm, conscious and responsive and and with it enough to ask her uh am i going to walk again and she she knew that she knew the question was coming and she she had to say no uh and and the doctor said shy of a miracle Uh, i wouldn't walk again so at that point i just kind of had to um start through that grieving process you know I I, I just went into that um, that kind of shock phase and I and her and I just sat and cried like the life that we thought we were living isn't isn't going to be what we thought it was going to be and um, and there was that initial shock Um, and then also all the people around me you know it caused a lot of shrapnel to the people around me, my, um, my parents, her parents, my siblings and her siblings and all my friends and you know, I mean, my crewmates and, you know, the people I work with and people in my life every day, you know, a lot of people were, were hurt that day emotionally. I mean, yeah, I'm the one that's not walking, but there's a lot of people who took a lot of emotional shrapnel from my event um, that, that definitely were, were, were affected by... Um, just by having to see me, by you know, not not having me the way I was. Um, one nice thing was that my brain wasn't injured. I didn't have a traumatic brain injury. Um, I was still the person that I was prior. So that my wife, my, my wife, her her one thing was as long as I have him, I'm fine. Like he's he's still my husband. He's still he's still who he is. Um, as a person. So I think that, that that's what really helped that process. That had to be great. I, I mean, I can't even put to words just probably the feelings of knowing you had her support. Yeah. That it really was, you know, through thick and thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I, um, I really married up. Uh, she, she is an absolute... 
uh, rock star when it comes to uh, just straight up being a wife, um, just being an awesome woman. Um, she she was actually approached by uh, a couple nurses in the hospital at times, and they would say, you know, it's really good to see you stick around. A lot of women don't. We're glad to see you're still here. And if I would have known that, I would have said, shut up. I don't want her to know there's an option. <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean? Like, let's, let's don't, not, don't let's, any ideas that are No, let's not. But she, it, to her, she's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, that's not even in my, that's not, that's not even in my wheelhouse. Like, I'm not, I'm not going there. Like, that's not even in my thought process. Um, you know, but, but apparently a lot of spinal cord injury patients, that, that's not uncommon for, you know, for marriages to just dissolve. And, and, what I, what I realized from a marriage perspective is accidents like mine and traumatic events like mine, they tend to either pull you closer together or pull you farther apart. Like it's, it's either one or the other. Like there is no neutral. It's either hot or cold. And either, either those magnets get pulled closer together or those magnets get flipped around and repel each other. And fortunately for us, um, it pulled us closer together. And, and, I, and I think... Part of it is the work we did, and we'll talk about that here in a minute about how we got a lot of a lot of counseling. But we worked really, really hard to make sure that we process this thing. So, I mean, when you're talking about that, you're talking about the mental aspect yeah. of working. What was the just the physical aspect? Just yeah. just for you to even uh, being able to go home, yeah, you know, get out of the hospital. Yeah, so I spent about a week and a half in rehab um, teaching me how to use a wheelchair, teaching me how to transfer on and off a bed, on and off the toilet, how to take a shower, how to... One day they had to teach me how to cook. I made a grilled cheese sandwich. I mean, you know, just crazy things. Uh, Teach me how to get in and out of a car. Um, I had... It was funny. They always said, now, now anything else you want to learn? Is, is there something else you want us to teach you? And I'm like, I don't know what I don't know. Like, this... This is a whole new world. Like literally, like, it feels like a whole new world to me. Like I, I've never once like I've dreamed about motorcycles. I've dreamed about four wheelers. I dreamed about cars. I've never sat on a wheelchair website thinking, boy, if I was ever going to buy a wheelchair, what would I get? Like you know, what I mean, I don't even know where to even start the conversation of what <laughs> what should, what I should be expecting to know or what I should expect not to or not to be able to do. Um, so, so the, the therapists were incredible. I had incredible PTs. Um, but it, it took, it took a while just for me to get a grasp of what my new life was even going to look like from a functional perspective of just what does the life look like of somebody, of of a wheelchair user, just day to day functioning in this world that in a lot of ways is not accessible. Um, so that, so that took a little bit. Speaking of accessible, yeah, you finally get back home. Yeah. You, you mentioned before, there's no bedroom, there's yep. no bathroom yep. on your first floor. You're, you're in a tri-level house. Yep. You know, how, how did that whole thing? Well, that's where, um, the brotherhood really showed itself. Um, the, the and the fire service man, uh, 
we we are a family and and it was it was amazing we it, well first of all in the hospital itself we had a firefighter there almost around the clock for well over a week after the accident just to make sure that all of our needs are met and if we needed anything they were there for us just and sometimes just posted at the door just to head off any you know strangling uh reporters because i was the you know human interest story of the of the uh windstorm and all the wounded local hero whole that whole thing uh i I can you know i can imagine you know (laughs) because i was one of those guys that i don't even know if you remember this or know this Mm -hmm. but i showed up Mm -hmm. and and visited you oh it was the first time i ever met you i just yeah knew we're i mean we're right next to each other yeah you know brother's a brother yeah, I just wanted to see if anything from my local yeah. uh, could assist, but you you give me to look like you had no idea. Yeah, yeah, and and you know I, that's the crazy thing is I had a whole lot of conversations, a whole lot of real nice. Apparently, I was really nice. I had a whole lot of nice conversations was- with people, but I don't remember anything from about 15 minutes before the accident to about a week and a half after the accident. So I had a whole lot of conversations with people. I don't remember any of them, um, but it. But hearing the stories afterward, it's incredible. Um, and, you know, in the hospital, I actually, we had an honor guard um, class where we all went to honor guard school together. And that was right right before the accident. And then they all came in and they, all in their class A's, standing around my bed in their class A's from the honor guard school. Uh, it, it, was, it was really cool. And then the whole house, while I was in the hospital, they were – like I said, when the accident literally happened, 15 minutes before, I was scraping the floor off of my kitchen. My kitchen. So I had a whole bunch of half-finished projects around my house because we had just moved in, like literally two months before the accident. So the whole crew of um, from our department and even other departments came into our house and just finished all the projects that I had. I had a you know, almost two thousand dollars worth of wood flooring sitting on the floor of my garage, ready to be put in. They took care of getting all that installed. Um, we they went and repaired a whole bunch of other stuff. Moved my bed down to the dining room, turned my be- uh, dining room into a cafe gymatorium. It was it's where I slept, ate, and went to the bathroom. I did it all right there in the a, dining room. A studio apartment. That's right. That's right. And uh, it, you know, and and. That, that, and that's where the community was really incredible. I was able to um, have things taken care of for me before I even realized they need to be taken care of. Like, as soon as I thought, oh, crap, I better get that taken care of. Meredith And my wife, Meredith, she'd say, oh, so-and-so that said they're already taking care of that. Oh, they're already at the house. They've already taken care of that. I mean, it's just crazy. And, you know, the power was out for a week. Somebody went over and emptied our refrigerator for us. Somebody went over and took care of our dog and took our dog out for us. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. It sounds almost like you had so many individuals helping you out that they made it a lot easier just to concentrate on you. Yeah. And, and, you know, trying to get through this. And that's all my wife and I had to do was just focus on getting better. That's all we had to do. Um. And I think what that what that does is speaks to the importance of investing in friendships. Like investing in a good friendship and investing in people 
will give you the biggest returns. I mean, and, and not just that, oh, I'm going to be friends so that someday if I have a bad situation, they'll take care of me. But because that's what, that's what we call being a good human. You're good to other people. You take care of other people. You help them in their time of need. They help you in your time of need. Um, and they protect you and they help you. Because, I mean, you're clearly, I mean, even in this accident, you're the guy that's out there trying to help your friend. Yeah. 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 And, you know, you, you know, everybody says, oh, would you change anything? And, yeah, you know, I probably would have called a professional. Probably wouldn't have gone out and done tree work on my own. You know, um, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But then also I look back and think, you know, there's a lot of incredible things that have happened in my life that wouldn't have happened if the accident wouldn't have happened. So it's hard to sit here and say, um, I wish the accident wouldn't have happened when I think about all the incredible things that have happened since the accident. Um, I mean, I'd love to walk. Don't get me wrong. I'd give anything to walk. Not anything, but most things to walk. Um, What's... Never mind. That'll be that'll be off the air yeah. when, when you tell yeah. me what you want. But I, but I mean, I, I would, I would, I would, I would love to walk again. But at the same time, I, I really um, have seen the, in a lot of ways, the best of humanity come out and and just rally around us and just love us through some of our darkest moments. So I know that one of probably the. I have to imagine some of the big anxiety that you had was was your your work. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? You know, yeah. here here at work, you know, you, yeah. it's it's hard to be a firefighter. Yep. In your situation. Yep. And um, you know, I, I when our chiefs asked my wife, you know, what's he worried about most? She said his job. He's paralyzed from the waist down um, from what we know it's going to be permanent but you know he's he's in rehab now and um, he, I wasn't in rehab yet and the the chiefs and the city manager in the city and, and uh, they all got together and they came to me and said hey we're going to put you on light duty you're alright don't worry about your job I need we need you to focus on getting better and we need you to fo- just focus on you right now they and, had to just Take so much oh, weight off yeah. I could breathe. And then and then it allowed me to go into rehab knowing that okay, all I gotta do is focus on getting better and we'll cross that bridge later when we get to, get to that point. Um and we did. And it and it was it was uh it, it was it was a, it was an incredible, incredible um gift to be given to be able to have that burden taken off at the, especially in that moment. Because I wasn't off probation yet, so I had my one one year performance evaluation on my couch in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and and they it, it was cool. It was cool. Good, and you're and you're still here today. I'm still here today. Um, I my accident happened in September, and in January. After the accident, I started back part-time in headquarters um, in, in an administrative role. And then within about a month or two, I was up to full-time. And I've been here, well, it's 
it'll be 12 years this, this September since the accident, so just over 11 years. I've been working at headquarters, doing community relations, public education, record management, you know, all kinds of touching all different pieces of the department behind the scenes and, and more of a support role. So, yeah. you know, so you're, you're back to work. Um, you ended up moving into a different house, mm-hmm. correct? That was, it was more accessible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, well, that house was incredible because that was built by the community. Um, our, we had good friends that just bought a piece of property to build their dream house on. And on the front of that property was a ranch house that they didn't have a need for. And, um, it, it needed some care. So they rallied the troops, got a whole bunch of, uh, contractors and volunteers and, um, just grunt work and demoed that thing, widened every door, bumped the back wall out of the house and added on, um, totally redid the kitchen. It was, um, 100% accessible, a nice big roll in shower. I mean, they just completely renovated that house. Um, with just donations and volunteers. Someone came up and said, I'll take care of the driveway. Someone came up and said, I'll take care of the kitchen cabinets. Someone came up and said, I'll take care of the countertops. Someone came up and said, I'll take care of the floors. And someone said, I'll take care of the paint. I'll take care of, and it just, the stuff just fell together. Uh, somebody said, I got a backhoe. I'll come out and pour the, pour the footers and, and put the foundation in. Someone said, I'll do the trusses and framework. I mean, just the stuff just fell together, and, and it, it's re- it really is amazing um, when you put the right people um, in the right places, um, how, how things like that can just come together, and ha- how that kind of stuff just is orchestrated out of love. I mean, I, there, there's no other way to say it other than just this. It's just humans loving the other humans and taking care of people. Um, so yeah, we moved into that house, uh, around December. So just about three months after the accident. That's pretty quick. It was a, it was a quick remodel job. Uh, yeah. Came in ahead of schedule and under budget, like every construction project, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and I don't, there's not a good segue to even to do this. You know, you had your, your physical injury, mm-hmm. but that also ended up leading to some mental injuries and, and trauma yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, I, I know it's uncomfortable to even go here, but, you know, could you talk about the whole starting a family? Yeah. And and then, you know, let's kind of go from there. Yes. So the emotional piece um, really started that January when I started back to work. Um. I had, I had definitely had highs and lows in there, and, I, and more, probably more lows than highs. And I'll tell you, actually, even before then, when we were still in the trilo, before we moved to that house, I was sick of going to the bathroom on a bedside commode. I said, I'm going to sit on a real porcelain toilet. So I climbed, um, scooted myself up the half a flight of stairs to our upstairs of our tri-level, got into the bathroom, went to the bathroom, and got back out to the hallway and I was sitting in a hallway that I hadn't been in since before the accident. And I just sat there. 
and I just wept. I just cried. Uh, my wife sat there with me, and, and I honestly just told her, I said, I, I, don't, I don't blame you if you leave. Like, I get it. You didn't sign up for this. I am giving you a life sentence by having to put up with me. Like, you don't need to do this. And uh, it was like I was speaking a foreign language to her. Like, she didn't, she's like, absolutely not. Like, no. Get back down the stairs. <laughs> you know, like, she didn't say that. I mean, she was, she was, in the moment, just sat there with me. Like, she didn't need to say the perfect thing. She just needed to be present. And she was there with me and just reassured me that she's not going anywhere. Put her arms around me, held me, and just was, was there with me through that moment. And, um... I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure that um, there were t- definitely other things, but that, that's one that sticks out in my mind. And then again in January when I started back to work, I remember, I distinctly remember sitting at my desk for the first time and hearing the tones drop. And distinctly remember the first day that it would have been my shift and hearing my crew go out on a call that I'm not going on. It was awful. It was like somebody punched me right in the gut. And I was thinking, I can't do this for the rest of my career. I, I can't sit here and listen to that. Like, I loved my job. Like, I loved it. Like, I, 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 I kind of felt like I didn't really pick my career. My career picked me. Like, there was no option for me. Like, this is what I was, this is what I was meant to do. Um, I... I, I can't finish a career and, and have this sort of emotional attachment and deal with this. Um, so it was that January when my wife said, I think we should see some counseling, get some counseling. And then as a good husband, yeah, you're right. I, I think that'd be good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that'd be good for you. Uh, uh, so, of course, I went for her, right? You know, like, like it was her idea. You know, th- this would be really good for my wife. I, I, this will help her, so I'll, I'll do this for her. Um, so we got, we got hooked up with an incredible counselor, um, and we started meeting with that counselor, I want to say almost on a weekly basis at first, if not weekly, biweekly. And then... Um, we started unpackaging some of this and I started seeing um, the emotional toll that it was having. And then I started learning about the stages that you go through after grief. And, and then one thing that he said to me that has stuck with me ever since is, is he said, John, you're, you're, you're going to have to grieve the death of the walking you. The you that you were on September 13th and the you that you are now is not the same. And we're going to have to grieve the parts that you lost and grieve that. And, and with that, you go through the stages of grief. You, you, we had the shock and denial phase. We had the anger phase, the bargaining, the depression. And, you know, we went through each of those stages and then finally to a point of acceptance. But we went through each of those stages of grief where we um, just had to 
mourned what we had lost and how our life just wasn't the way we had envisioned. And then we went to that council for about six years. About a year after we started, um, about a year and a half after we started going to the counselor, we, we went and started working on the fertility world to see if, you know, can we have kids? And the doc, the, the, um, the urologist in the hospital said, give it a year, and then what we'll do is we'll, we'll have you tested to see what your fertility is like. So a year after the accident, about a year and a half after the accident, we went up to um, that university up north, because apparently that's where they do it, and I wasn't real thrilled of my child being conceived in that I forget. You're a, never mind. No, no, I don't like them. Oh, okay. I'm with you. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought you were giving me a look like you're yeah, some no, you're I'm some like, fan of the team from the north. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I thought you were a Buckeyes fan. I'm a Buckeyes fan. All right. So um, we went up there, and um, we got kind of the worst news possible that biological kids aren't going to be an option for you guys, and. Um, my wife and I went through those stages of grief again. Uh, and it, it was it was kind of crazy because I went through um, like that depression phase after the initial accident, and then my wife went through that depression phase after that fertility. And it, the nice thing is they didn't match up at the same time. So we were able to be there for each other in each of those seasons for each other. Um, but for us, the great part was, it, it was probably, I don't know how long after, but um, my, my wife and I just kind of felt like, you know, we can't have biological children, but I, we kind of feel like God was telling us, I didn't say no to kids altogether, just not that way. So um, on July 7th, 2011, we adopted our son and in September of um, 2013, we had, uh, November of 2013, we adopted our daughter. And um, I'm just as much of a parent now as I would have been in 2008 to biological children. So, um, it's, it's one of those deals where, yeah, the life doesn't look the way I had envisioned, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it any other way. And I've got two children at my house that I may not have known if it wasn't for that accident. So how can I sit here and say the accident's all bad? I mean, there's definitely aspects of it that suck. I'm not going to deny that. But um, I think with the help of some really, really solid counseling, um, it helped us get to a point of acceptance where, you know what, um, this is not what we have envisioned. This is not what we would have chosen. But um, we're going to embrace it. And this is, this is going to be our life. We're going to live it. Make the best of it. Yeah. Whatever card you've been dealt. Yeah. Yep. Just roll with it. Just roll with it. 
Easy for you to say. <laughs> I refrained from saying, let me walk you through this. Yeah. By the way, like we have this relationship uh, of kind of joking around with each other. Um, we were at a, a conference in October, sitting next to each other. And uh, what, what, what it was uh, um, the sleep recovery, uh, Jacqueline. She, she was talking about meditating and how to relax your body and starting with relaxing your legs and putting your legs on the floor and relaxing them. And I thought, done. But he, you verbal, <laughs> he verbalized it. I'm just sitting next to him. I just, I, I'm trying to relax. I'm trying to relax, and I just, I just lean, I just look over and grin at him. And he, it, I don't know if you meditated a whole lot. I'm sorry, I ruined that exercise for you. But, but no, it's all right. It was yeah. worth it. Yeah. I mean, if you can't laugh at it, I mean, what are you gonna do? You know what I mean? Um. Uh, but. You know, one of the, when it comes to the community piece, one of the analogies I always say is when you look at the community around you, um, where are your strong, where are the strong um, people in your life? And if you remember, like, the, if you ever watched, like, the National Geographic or Planet Earth where you, where you see the prey and you see the predator coming after the prey, um, when the prey is in a herd, they naturally put the stronger, larger members of that herd on the outside. And they push their weaker, younger, usually older and younger members of the herd to the middle to protect them. And I feel like after the accident, I went from the outside of the herd and I quickly got shoved into the middle of the herd so that I could get better and be protected from the prey which in this place was the trauma. And I, and I feel like the fire service in particular, and it's fun, we've always talked, you talk about a lot about mental health and um, the episode you just had um, a little bit ago um, with Dr. Patoni, Patoni um, talking about the traumas we have day in and day out. That's nothing but a bunch of prey constantly attacking, attacking our well-being. Always looking to see who's who's in my herd and who might need to be put in the middle for protection right now and helped and who are the strong ones. And constantly helping to manipulate that herd to, to, to build people up and make them stronger and rotating in and out to give people some relief and help people out and keeping that herd strong. Because there are, I, feel, I just feel like in the fire service, because of all the trauma that we see day in and day out, it just means there's more prey. And there's just more pe- more things attacking us. Now you do your best to kind of give back as well, mm-hmm. and to give individuals hope when if they have spinal injuries as well. Yeah, um, I I get called to my Valley Hospital. Seems like once a month, once every couple months, to go and visit with a spinal cord injury patient. Um, when they get somebody in there that has experienced a spinal cord injury, they call me up. I go in and I meet with them. I sit down. I kind of give them a glimpse of what life's going to look like. Um, try to breathe some hope into their life. Like, this is not the end of the life. There is life after injury. Uh, you know, kind of talk about what they liked before the accident. And then try to envision, and get, cast some vision for them on how they can get back to doing those things they liked. You can do everything you did before, just it's going to look different. 
Um, for me, I worked for the fire service before. I work for the fire service now. It just looks different. Uh, and that's what I try to do for spinal cord injury patients um, now. And it's, it's, it's a good time. And you, you've, you know, essentially you've became kind of a, a, just a good role model for everybody with this. Uh, I like far, to hope so. I yeah, I, I think so. Like you, <laughs> yeah. you could go kind of different ways with this. I mean, you know, I think yeah. if I know one of your favorite movies is Forrest Gump. Yep. You can kind of go to Lieutenant Dan way. Yep. Early yep. on, you know, or yep. New Year's Day, all yep. that kind of stuff. That's right. And, and it and Lieutenant Dan spent a lot of time in that valley, the depression. And eventually got to a point of acceptance where you know he got his magic legs. <laughs> but it's amazing you see that. I mean, he had a traumatic event, and I, you know, I I don't know. They never said it in the movie, but I, I I'm guessing he got some counseling and got some help, and helped process that, and helped work through some of that trauma and some of that stuff that happened after his accident. Um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I love that movie, but I, I think uh, I think that's a great image of just how dark his life got. And but, but also he turned it around. Yeah, yeah, and I think the larger the trauma, the larger leverage, the larger of a lever you have to make an impact. Mm-hmm. The larger trauma you have 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 happened to you, the larger of a lever you have to make a greater impact on other people. And it's really easy to say, you know, and, I, and one thing whenever I talk like this, I, I always want to explain to people, I, I don't do this out of, I don't do this for pity. I don't feel sorry for me. And, or I don't want it to be um, one of those deals where, oh, I have nothing to complain about. I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't have as bad a situation as John does. Because, you know, they, they always use the analogy, the man that had no shoes um, complained until he saw a man that had no feet. Well, that doesn't change the fact that the man that had no shoes still was facing a trial and still was facing a trauma. So regardless of how big or small your trauma is, pain is pain, trauma is trauma, and if you're struggling with something, get help for it. It's, it's really easy to suppress it and say, oh, well, it's not as bad as so-and-so, so what do I have to complain about? Well. If that's the case, no one would put in it because everyone. There's always somebody that, in society's eyes, has it worse than you. Uh, let's stop playing this comparison game and really look at yourself authentically and say, "I I got some work to do, and I need help." Even if someone else might, you know, have a different problem, doesn't mean yours isn't important. So. It's pretty deep stuff, man. I appreciate hey. it, and and I really do appreciate you spending some time with me and, yeah. and all of our listeners. Yeah, thank you. I'm not gonna let you off that easy though. All right, you know what's coming. Oh yeah, the 25 random questions. Yes, and and I've <laughs> I've updated them a little bit. Again, <laughs> I'm just trying to find a, a good balance, and I added more pop culture because I think that's kind of that's kind of what I like. All right, I'm a nerd for that stuff. So. Um, you probably kept track. You know what all the numbers are already, don't you? No. Okay, good. Well, pick one. Uh, my son's eight, so I'll say eight. Favorite book? 
not bad. Favorite book. All right, so this is, uh, I'm a nonfiction book reader, and I read a book about the uh, Beverly Hills Supper Club fire. It's incredible. Never looked at that fire the same again. But uh, it was, it was the, the story of the Beverly Hills Supper Club fire. And uh, it gave me a more of a passion for public education and uh, fire safety education in my job. So, yeah. Nice. Yep. To be able to use it in a practical sense. Right. Perfect. Yep. All right. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something deep, something emotional. Something. No, 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 no. For you, I thought you were going to say like Gump and Company. Oh, the movie that should have been a Gump sequel. All right, what's another number? My daughter's six, so I'll do six. How do you manage stress? Um, humor. I mean, if you can't laugh at it, it'll get the best of you. That's that's a. I'm gonna add another one on here because I actually have it on here. So okay. I'm gonna. Um, I don't know what number it is. But favorite favorite comedian. Oh, uh, my wife and I are seeing him next weekend at Wiley's. Haywood Banks. Haywood Banks. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I have tickets. We're going to see Haywood Banks next next Saturday. Big butter Jesus. Oh, big butter Jesus, baby. Uh, pancreas song. And, uh, yeah, if, you know, if you guys don't know what Haywood, ba- Haywood, oh, Haywood Banks is. Just YouTube Haywood Banks. He's he got is, some great stuff. He is a co- comedian you could take your kids to. And all of you would laugh at it. P- he's PG. Oh, it's great. And, uh, you know, plays the guitar, sings you know, sings a song. Oh, yeah, he's they're, a they're music. Good stuff. He did uh, Toast. It's probably Yeah, his, yeah, Toast. Yep. The Bomb and Tom show. He's, yep. Constant. He plays a uh, two slice toaster with two wooden spoons. <laughs> it's great. All around the country and coast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Absolutely. All right. That's, like, something, that's something my wife and I do is we 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 love to laugh together. So um, we love watching comedies, watching comedians, um, going to see comedians and stuff. It's it's something we find really important to. If, if we can't laugh, we, you can't um, solve big problems with somebody until you learn how to laugh at them. It's just, I think that's part of the problem with our government. They don't take themselves too seriously. If we can relax so, and laugh together and get to know each other uh, relation a little bit, maybe we'll get to solve some bigger problems with each other. The, the whole PC world, too. <laughs> Comedians can kind of navigate that that's for right. the most part. Yeah. You know, th- that same club you're talking about, Wiley's, is... You know, we're, we happen to be in an area where that's the local club for Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. So he'll run in there every now and then and just kind of test out new material. Yeah. And just being there on random nights when he comes in yep. are, are like the, the best memories I have. Yeah. Because he's not, he's just kind of just ad-libbing. It's usually um, unannounced too. Just, yeah, just oh, shows up. Yeah. Hey, we got a special guest. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, Dave, Dave Chappelle. Chappelle. <laughs> yeah. All right. How about another number? All right. I like doing this with you. Um, oh, 16. Any tattoos? No. Well, that was easy. Pick another one. Although I've thought about it. No, okay. Let's I've we'll thought about it for the, I've thought about it for the last 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't find myself to find some artwork I could 
really be okay with for the rest of my life. <laughs> I agree. You know what I mean? I just you can't know, seem to commit myself to you anything. Know, you know, this is a, a audio podcast, so we don't have to look at, you know, nobody gets to see the tattoos I have. But, like, <laughs> like I don't know what I was thinking when I decided, hey, let's put the, the Lord of the Rings little <laughs> symbols on your arm. <laughs> And they can, you know, this, you know, individuals could say, "Hey, uh, ask ask him a standing orders question, you know, some kind of medical question." I don't, I don't do standing. Like, I don't do standing don't, orders. I'll be like, I don't know, but they were like, "Well, what does the ring say?" And I'm like, "Well, in the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie, wandering to rule them all, wandering to find them, <laughs> wandering to bring them all into darkness, bind them in the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie." That's how big of a nerd I am. <laughs> so, if you get a tattoo, you got to top that somehow. All right. Well, I, I was also told you I can't get it on my legs. It's cheating. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I have to get it somewhere I can feel. It's funny. That's good. Yeah. I could get full pant legs in one session. I don't care. <laughs> Take a nap, turn it. <laughs> turn over. Uh, I want to I look through and pick one. Okay. Just because it's my show. All right. I don't want to waste that one. Let's see. All right. Uh, do you have a special place that you like to visit regularly? What's your What's your happy place? I I love being home. Like I I love. Like my right right now, my kids, for some reason, are obsessed with Monopoly. Used to. <laughs> the other night, we sat there and played Monopoly. Why don't I bring my kids over and they can play your kids? Yeah. Yes. And then last and then last night, I was laying there and listening to my eight year old. He was he laid there. He laid his head on my chest and just read three books to me, and I was like, I could. I could lay here the rest of the night. Like, some, it's some Wizard of Oz stuff yeah. you're talking about. That it's awesome. No place like home. Yeah, like there's no place like home, and I and I love that. Uh, I I'm in a in a really great place uh, with my wife that her and I both look forward to being near the other one. Our favorite places with each other. Um, yeah, I'm just really happy that's that's the case. I know it's not the case for everybody, so I, th- I think um, I'm really grateful for that. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna get you out of here on that. I right. appreciate your time so yeah, much. Yeah. Thank you. Um, now I look forward with uh, hanging out with you some more and. Messing up each other. Yeah, absolutely. You're still faster than me. Downhill I am. <laughs> All right. Oh, no, one last thing. Uh, you know, I'm here talking about my podcast, but you've got your own podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, my wife and I um, are doing a podcast of our own called The Mordinary Parca- Podcast, M-O-O-R-D-I-N-A-R-Y, um, The Mordinary Podcast. And we talk about um, the, the importance of community post-traumatic growth and the um, and leveraging trauma for the betterment of others. So how do we build a good community 
how do we work towards post-traumatic growth, and how do we leverage our trauma so that others can grow from it. So, you know, today you just kind of got a snippet of really what those podcasts are. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, you know, clocking in another hour, but, yep. you know, for those other ones, if, if, if you guys want to learn more about John and also um, his wife, you know, she's, they, they tag team this, mm-hmm. uh, this podcast and, and yeah, we co- they go into much more details. Yeah, so. we co-host together. We bring in guests every now and then to talk about their traumas. And um, we're actually getting ready to do an interview with our counselor. It's, we're really excited about that interview that we're going to be posting here in a couple months. Um, yeah, we're really excited. It's, it's been a fun project. It's been fun for us to work on together. Nice. Yeah, it's a good time. All right, well, thank you again for your time, John. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, take care. All right, once again, I'd like to thank my very special guest, John Moore. I appreciate him opening up and sharing his journey. Uh, don't don't forget to check out his podcast, The Mordinary Podcast. And speaking of this podcast, The 25 Live, please subscribe. If you like what you're listening to, leave a comment. And uh, I look forward to next week. Take care until then. Bye.